Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you for choosing to spend your afternoon here with Imran and myself. For those who don't know, I'm Patricia Rogan-Faber, and I do a podcast show to help people maximise property values. It is called Maximising Property Values. It's, yes, I'm, yeah, yep, yeah, yep, yeah, very original. Um, it's on all <laughs> your, your popular platforms, so you can find it on Apple, on Spotify, on Google, on Audible. Um, and there's a link to some of the listening uh, platforms above. Um, that, however, is a monologue. But now I've, well, since November, not really now, not anymore. It's more than half a year ago. Um, since November, I've added a guest series. And my guest today is Imran Shaikh. Let's get to know Imran a bit more today. So who is Imran? Imran is, well, wait for this. He is... Uh, I'm just going to do a, a brief intro and then later on, Imran, you can, t you can fill in the gaps. He is sure. the director in Easy Global Limited, which is a family run business. And his focus is on producing high end properties. Now, Imran, welcome to Maximising Property Values. But before we go into your main property activities, let's get to know you better. And this is my nosiness coming into play. Um, oh, no. Here it goes. <laughs> um, so I've got for you five questions. No, six. Yes, five, five, five questions. So your first one is this. What did working at Cisco for 15 plus years add to your property development skills? Uh, yeah, good question. Um, so if, if you don't mind, I'll take a step back. Well, first of all, uh, I'm very privileged to be invited and share the stage with you, to be interviewed by you. So, so I'm certainly looking forward to, to this event for a number of weeks and I'm happy to be here, happy to share and like I always say, whenever I do speak in, in Clubhouse, I'm always learning. And, and uh, this is a fantastic experience that I'm, I'm sharing with you. Um, coming back to your question, uh, Cisco is um, and has been a, one of the top IT companies in the world for the last 30 years. The reason why I say this is... Uh, for those in the sector, Cisco is an extremely well-known brand. However, for those not in the sector, they need to appreciate that this is one of the top five companies that has performed at that level for the last 30 years continuously. So for me to actually uh, get to Cisco was a journey in itself. And maybe uh, we, we get to talk about that at some point today. But while I was there, sustaining that career for 15 and a half, 16 years was in itself a phenomenal experience, an experience of uh, self-development as a person, an experience of development in my career from a career perspective. And certainly, like you rightly pointed out, uh, a, a, a development of my property journey as well. Now, you specifically honed in on property development. Now, property development, if we were to double click on that for a second, uh, one can appreciate it brings together a lot of different skills. You don't necessarily need to be, and I'm certainly not, 
a hands-on person when it comes to any specific trade. Although I'm fairly good with DIY, but I'm not a skilled trades person. I have no intentions of being a skilled trade person. But as a property developer, my role is to find the deals, to structure the deals, to make the deal happen, is to then, once that, that's acquired, then the next phase is to bring the team together, orchestrate the entire development process, and once it's complete, to obviously offer the product back into the market, uh, close shop and move on again. So as a property developer, you can appreciate there's a lot of multiple skills involved. Certainly from my IT career, I can see, because in IT, I wasn't just an engineer. I mean, I started off in a technical capacity, but then very quickly I moved into business strategy, into development, as in partner development, into a sales leadership role. So a lot of the skills that I developed over the years, uh, I'm now finding that I'm leveraging a lot of those skills into my property profession. Back to you. Right. Thank you very much for that, um, Imran. So you are a bit then um, of a matchmaker. Um, you're putting things together. You're bringing the team together. You are, you know, matching the right team to the right opportunity and then seeing it through. So we would love to hear a lot more about that. So in a minute, though. Um, now, OK, so your second question is this. What was your best moment in Cisco? Can you just paint that picture for us? Oh, that's uh, there quite a few actually. Uh, but 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 let's 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 start with the very beginning, right? So, uh, the very beginning was um, I graduated as a civil engineer, uh, and let me know if you have another question around this topic. In which case, I'll stop there. But, but I'll give you a bit more background about me. So I graduated as a civil engineer from University of Strathclyde in Glasgow. And, and when I graduated, I, I knew that wasn't the career I was going to move forward with. But of course, if I start something, I have to finish it. So I finished it with a degree, an honours degree. And, and once that was done, uh, I said to my dad, um, this is not the career that I'm going to move forward with. And he goes, well, what do you mean? You just spent four years studying for this degree. And now that you've graduated, you want to do something else. I said, exactly. He goes, well, what is it that you want to do? And I said to him, well, I'm, I'm going to move into IT. And he goes, well, exactly how are you going to do that? Because, I mean, I, I was extremely good with computers, but I didn't have an official degree at the time. And I told my dad about Microsoft. I told him about Cisco and what my route was going to be. And he said to me, well, all right, why don't you do another degree at university, do a conversion course? I said, well, that's not a bad suggestion, but the route that I'm planning to take is going to be more of a fast track. Uh, he wasn't convinced, but I did say to him, well, give me 12 months. Uh, this is what I need to do. I will need you to help me on these couple of things and I will call on you when I need your help. But in 12 months, th this is the time I need to sort it out. Otherwise, I'll do what you're saying, a conversion degree in IT at university. Uh, fast forward a couple of years, 
my dream was always to get into Cisco. Like I said, it was the number one brand at the time. And, and that was the thing to do. Um, they, at the time, I was very technical. Uh, the certification that I wanted to achieve, there were only four and a half thousand people in the world with that certification. And that certification, not only did it pay extremely well, and we're talking about the early 2000s here, not only did it pay extremely well, which is a motivation in itself, but it was extremely prestigious. You actually got a label, you actually got a number, and you were one of four and a half thousand people in the world. So for me, the dream always was not to just achieve that certification, but to actually work for the company that offered that certification. And the vendor was Cisco. So I remember I got interviewed by Cisco. They, they, amazingly, they, they, uh, they, they, they found me on one of these job sites. They found my CV and I kind of matched a particular project that they were uh, looking to roll out. And they interviewed me. And I remember going into the Cisco office and it was as if I was uh, in Mecca, so to speak, right? I just landed in Mecca. Obviously, I hadn't um, been hired yet, but the, the mere fact that I stepped in, it was one step closer towards my, my uh, uh, ultimate aim. And I remember getting interviewed by them uh, back to back, four interviews, one hour each. And I wasn't prepared for that. So they kind of dropped that bombshell on me when I turned up for the first interview. I thought it was just going to be one interview, but they were four interviews back to back. And then after the fourth interview, which was extremely tiring, they said to me, uh, what's your calendar like for the rest of the day? And in hindsight, I should have actually made something up, but I was being extremely honest. So I said to them, I've got nothing planned for the rest of the day. So they said, well, why don't we take you to this virtual office? We're going to leave you there for 90 minutes. And here is a test paper. And I'm like, wow, it would have been nice for someone to have told me about this because I would have been more prepared. But they gave me an examination. And they were asking me all sorts of questions, questions that I had no idea about. I probably answered maybe 45, tops 50% of that paper. The rest of the technology, I had no idea about. But I think what I now realize, or what I subsequently realized, these guys were trying to see how I worked under pressure. So I did that for about 90 minutes. They then had a further interview with me, and then, couple of weeks later, later, I got offered the job. So for me, getting offered that job with Cisco for me was, was probably the best moment of my life at that point in time, because it was me proving to my dad that I knew what I was doing. I had a goal. I could set out the path. And with the effort that I put in, and obviously with his support and, and everyone else's support, I managed to achieve that particular goal. Wow. I, I don't know that I could have done what you did. Four interviews back to back when you were only expecting one and then an exam. But as you say, it all worked out absolutely great. And I, I, I you know, you painted such a vivid picture of when you stepped into their building, like it was as if like you'd landed in Mecca, and I can just, you know, I, I, I could literally just feel the air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> it, 
in the lobby and you know smart people behind you know a desk asking you your name maybe you'd gone through security then there'd be a badge for you to put on then they direct you to the bank of lifts and everything'd be like shiny with like marble and oh yeah where was the interview what country what continent in the uk in stockley park back then the offices were in stockley park but then we moved from stockley park to bedford lakes stockley park for me was impressive uh I, prior to cisco i worked for the nhs i worked for king's college hospital so even though king's college hospital is a flagship hospital but it's still a public sector building it's an it's the nhs so you can appreciate it's not opulent uh, it's very functional you're surrounded by amazing people in the nhs people that uh, i still keep some of which i still keep in touch with but a great part of my my uh, professional career as well uh, but cisco is different uh, cisco is a flagship like you painted it it was opulent but not too opulent at least not Stockley Park, but then we moved into our flagship offices, which were in Bedford Lakes, which is in Feltham. And Feltham doesn't sound that great because it's right next to the Young Offenders Institute. But trust me when I say those offices were not just the best offices in, for Cisco in the UK, but they are one of the best offices for Cisco globally. And, and those were the flagship offices. Me being customer facing that I was uh, for most of my career, it was a fantastic privilege to invite customers and also partners over to those offices to, to show them the latest and the greatest of technology and help them uh, pivot their organizations for the next five to seven years. So, so a fantastic time in that company. Like I said, developed significantly professionally, but also de developed even more importantly uh, from an uh, individual and from a person perspective. Wow. Well, you see, Imran, just like you, I'm all about balance. So your third question is, what was your worst experience in Cisco or worst moment? If you had any. Yeah. Well, actually, yeah. Yeah, the worst you would have. Um, but it might not be that bad. But, you know, in comparison, it would be right there at the bottom. Yeah, so um, it, it, it's funny you ask me that question because uh, over the last probably four to five years, uh, as a person, as a mindset, I've tried to just focus on positive things. So obviously when we go through our life journey, you do have your ups and your downs, uh, but I've tried to brush those downs aside. But now that you put me on the spot, Without going into too many details, what I will say is, and this is one of the reasons why I decided to take a sabbatical from the career, um, and, and that sabbatical has turned into effectively a retirement, uh, it was the politics. Uh, I, I uh, grew quite fast at the company or the companies because I, I did leave Cisco and I joined another company after that. Um, I'm the type of guy where... Uh, whether it's my idea or someone else's idea, if it's a good idea and we have buy-in, I want to make things happen. Because if, the, if it's a good idea, it's, it's, a, it's a good idea because it helps the company, it helps the partners, it helps the customers. And from a business perspective, it makes sense. 
So if you have all those checkboxes, just go and make it happen. That's my mentality. And what I was noticing with some of these uh, situations that I was in, uh, there were a lot of political barriers and that those political barriers stopped us from achieving what we wanted to achieve and what we could have achieved. So obviously as a team, we achieved a lot, uh, but I think um, in certain situations we could have done a lot more. And, and this, this is not unique to any specific company. You notice this with many corporates. Um, it's, it's, I guess it's human nature. Although the companies that I worked for had phenomenal cultures, but nevertheless, we're still human beings. And with human beings, sometimes politics comes in the way and it stops us from being the best that we possibly can. Wow, I certainly feel you there, um, Imran. Um, and it's really sad, isn't it? Because you get politics in all of these, like, you know, corporate you know, organizations. And like you say, it actually holds things back. You, imagine where, you know, they'd be if there was none of that nonsense. But, you know, I guess where you've got human beings, you, you'll always have people playing games and posturing and, you know, trying to um, climb up on the backs of others and, you know, all whatnot. But yeah, I definitely hear you there. So uh, you've got two more questions, two more. Um, <laughs> um, so, I'm enjoying this actually, Patricia. <laughs> oh, are you? Okay, great stuff, great stuff. I um, feel like this is a Cisco interview again. <laughs> <laughs> now I feel a little bit bad because I did not tell you how many questions you were going to have, nor what your questions were going to be. But That's you know what? I couldn't have picked a better person to ask Thank five you. questions of because you've been doing this all your life, being put on the spot and rising to it. Not only rising, you know, just, just soaring, really. Um, okay, so, but we will end on a positive question, but, so this is your penultimate question. What, what to date has been your worst property moment? Oh, okay. Uh, quite a few, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Yeah, but but it's okay. Uh, these these, uh, these are all learning experiences. Uh, these are all learning opportunities. And the other thing I'll say to those listening in today and those listening in in the future is, if you stick at it uh, in the long term, it will always work out. And obviously, when I say that, I mean from a UK property perspective. Uh, I, I don't profess to know too much about any of the other markets, although I do keep tabs on what's happening in certain areas in the U.S., because that's a market that does fascinate me as well. And I see a lot of synergies between the U.S. and the U.K. But when I say what I say, it's predominantly down to, to the U.K. market. So with, with um, uh, the, the worst property, uh, I'll talk about an acquisition. And I have mentioned this in some of the clubhouse rooms before. But uh, since you asked me a very specific question, I'm going to go into a bit more detail. So this was an, in an auction. It was an auction purchase. Uh, I remember having seven properties in my shortlist. And I called up my dad uh, before I, on my way to this auction house. And I told him I'd, I'd done my research. I had my shortlist. 
and I was uh, very excited, uh, but I was asking him for some guidance. And, and he said to me, look, you've done your numbers, you've done your homework. If you feel it's the right uh, property and you feel that you're getting it at the right figures because you know what your ceiling is, he goes, go for it. Uh, and he goes, it's, uh, I, I, I don't, when I say what I'm about to say, I don't necessarily want to ridicule the amount of figures involved, but he did say to me, it's not a lot of money. Even if you get it wrong, we'll deal with the situation. And, and that just, him basically saying that just gave me that boost of confidence that I needed. Because obviously buying from an auction uh, was an alien experience to me. And this is obviously, we're talking about pre-COVID. We're talking about 26, no, 2017, I think it was, when this actually happened. So, so 2017, there I am in an auction house. Uh, I'm looking at my spreadsheet. Um, I lost four of the shortlisted properties. So I only had three left on my spreadsheet. And then number five came up and I started bidding. I think there were maybe one or two other people in the room that were bidding as well. And everything that you're not supposed to do, I did, right? And in the end, the hammer fell. I bought the property and obviously I exchanged on the spot as you have to do. So I effectively now was legally committed. And then after that, the I don't like to use the word nightmare, but certainly the, there were a few surprises. So my solicitor, uh, I reached out to her, a family solicitor, and, and uh, she said to me, fine, we, I can help you complete in four weeks, because that was one of the conditions. But she started doing her due diligence, and then she goes, have you seen all these extra charges? I said, what do you mean? She, uh, and she goes, well, the, the auction house is charging an extra one or 2%. I can't remember what the figure is, but let's assume it was 2%. I said, yeah, I'm aware of that. And she goes, but in addition to that, you're paying their legal fees. And I pretended that I was aware of that, but I wasn't. I said, all right, fine. So in, internally, I'm saying, wow, that's going to cost me an extra grand 1,500 pounds. Then she goes, in addition to that, you're going to be liable for this. And she kept going on. There were like three or four other things that I wasn't aware of. And, and that kind of totaled to about 10 to 12,000 pounds, which is a significant amount of money. Now, luckily, lucky for me, and I would never recommend this approach to anyone out there, but lucky for me, I got the property at a very attractive price. So I had enough of a buffer in there. And because I wasn't necessarily buying the property to flip, I was buying it to hold, I knew long-term the property was going to appreciate. And I still have this property today. But everything that you're not supposed to do in an auction is what I did on that particular day. And I managed to complete in four weeks. In fact, if I remember correctly, the vendor and their side, their legal team were being so obtuse and, and um, they were uh, being so, they were deflecting so much. They were not trying to help us complete. In fact, I felt that they were doing everything in their power to try and stall the deal so that I didn't complete. What they didn't realize is that not only did I manage to achieve uh, completing a mortgage in four weeks, 
which I think is going to be an extreme challenge these days. And I'm talking about a buy-to-let mortgage, not a bridge. So I managed to get a buy-to-let mortgage in four weeks. But even if that hadn't had happened, I was in a position, luckily enough, to buy that property cash. So regardless of how the other party tried to make things difficult for us, I was always in a position to complete. So that's one thing I will say to people, is if you are planning to buy an auction, and obviously you then commit on the day by exchanging, make sure you have a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C to complete. Otherwise, most likely you forfeit your, um, your, your deposit and perhaps other penalties as well. Oh, that sounds a bit like a nightmare. But, but Imran, 1% to 2%, let's say 2%, you know, buyer's premium, that's not bad. I think, I think if I'm not mistaken, the London Borough of Southwark, I think, charges 4.5%, unless somebody's spoken to them and they've changed their ways. But yeah, quite high. Um, there was another one as well. I think Chelsea and Kensington, they might have a really high buyer's premium as well. Um, and they're just, they're just absolutely ridiculous. It's like, anyway, so I, I think, it, you know, apart from time being, you know, really kind to you, I think, you know, you were also quite lucky because that wasn't too bad. Two percent, not too bad. Yeah, no, not too bad. But like I said, it was a two percent. Plus there were other charges as well. So you take the 2% plus another 12 grand on top, and it was a significant bill. Um, but, yeah. but like I said, I still have the property today. Uh, where are we now? 2022. So five years on or four, four and a half years on. It's tenanted. Tenants are happy. Property is kosher. And I have no intentions to sell. Um, and and I literally, I, I actually fixed the mortgage on that uh, a couple of months ago for the next five years. Wow. So that was a bad one. That's turned good. So your last question is this. And I said, we are going to finish on a positive note with the questions. To date, what has been your best property moment? Uh, another good question. Uh, there have been a few, but I'll, I'll give you, let's say, one of the recent ones. Um, in in South London, um, I took over a. I have a. I bought a three bedroom house, and uh, we converted it to a four bed HMO. So, four bed HMOs. That's really uh, one of my strategies. I don't go too big with HMOs. I tend to keep them uh, under the mandatory licensing. So this is like additional licensing category. In, in the property sector, they call these mini-mos, and I like these mini-mos. These mini-mos work really, really well for me. And this particular property, I, I converted it to a mini-mo standard. Uh, so it had all the fire doors, the interlinked fire alarms, blah, 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 acoustic insulation, blah, 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 all of that stuff. But like, one thing that I'm very keen on doing is, is always having a plan B. Uh, because we do know that a lot of these councils are bringing in room banding when it comes to HMOs. So I didn't want to go too crazy with the conversion and turn that property into a specialist HMO 
um, uh, environment. I wanted to make sure that it could always be put back to a family, a single dwelling family home back into the market just in case the HMO numbers never stacked up. So uh, purchase price was was around the 550-ish mark and we did the conversion. It did, didn't cost us uh, a lot of money. We uh, did it to a very, very high standard, uh, to, a, to a standard that, that um, uh, my family would be proud of, so my wife and my, my younger daughter as well. In fact, all of my properties, one of the philosophies I have is if they're good enough for my six-year-old to live in, in terms of quality, more importantly, in terms of safety, then it's good enough for my tenants. Uh, but with, with this particular property, I actually went another level, a couple of levels up and went for very good finishes, very good fittings, uh, lovely color scheme. And that property was valued seven figures. So in terms of uh, numbers, it's done extremely well, uh, much better than I was expecting. Ooh, that is definitely, yeah, sounds like an amazing, amazing purchase and, and you know, development, really. Great stuff. So you will be pleased to hear you have finished all of your questions and there is no test for you to take. <laughs> Did I get the job, Patricia? Sorry? Did I get the job? You've got the job, yes. Hey! <laughs> yes. Um right so now let's talk about property so you are doing okay you've spoken about the hmo which was great so hopefully we'll get a chance to go into maybe that in a bit more detail but you know right now you are you just completed didn't you on um a development that you're going to be doing and that's going to be a new build do you want to would you mind telling us a bit about that sure so we completed on a site acquisition of a development site um four four weeks ago now we're in the process of uh, getting all the consultants together um so that we can submit for planning uh, permission by the end of the month and we're on target uh, for doing that um, in the meantime, I've uh, rented out that particular bungalow, so at least it's cash flow positive. And um, uh, I own this, or we own this, it's me and a business partner of mine. We own the asset outright, so it's not uh, costing us in terms of uh, lending, uh, which is a good position to be in. Um, and it's cash flow positive, like I said. Um, where we are or where this development is, uh, and this is again in the Richmond borough, which is where I live, uh, I expect planning to take some time. Uh, they're not the most uh, easiest council to deal with. Um, but once the uh, planning is approved, which I expect it will be, we're not going too crazy with the development. Uh, we're simply uh, building two semi-detached houses. These houses are going to be of a premium uh, nature. They're gonna fit into what the market actually wants. There is a serious uh, demand for these type of houses and to the finish that we will be delivering, I have every confidence that we're gonna be uh, breaching the ceiling price of, of this uh, uh, particular um, area. However, 
when it comes to numbers, and I am a numbers guy, I always make sure I'm extremely conservative with my numbers. But I always have a conservative plan. I call that my base plan. Then I have a stretch plan, and I have a super stretch plan, depending on how the market evolves. And I do know I'm completely aware that we're going into some difficult times uh, moving forward. And again, that's baked into my sensitivity analysis as well. So I'm looking forward to how this development uh, materializes. I'm going to be following the journey and I'm going to be promoting the journey on social media as well. Um, it's going to be more of a inspiration um, element for other people who are planning to do something similar. In terms of timelines, this is going to be easily the next 18 to 12 months of, uh, sorry, 18 months to two years of my life. So it's, it's going to be very detailed. It's going to be um, super exciting. And, and this is one of uh, one development site of a few others that we're looking at. So uh, there's going to be a lot of activity over the next couple of years. Wow. So Imran, you've mentioned, you've used certain words, strict phrases in, in, in what you've just said. So can you break this down for us? So you're, you're, you've, you've got, you, you, when you're working your numbers, you have a base plan, you have a stretch plan, and you have a super stretch plan, which is amazing because that is like your three exit routes, isn't it? It's like, you know, if this doesn't work, then what about this and what about that? But then you said you've, you've you know, looking ahead, obviously nobody has a crystal ball, but, you know, we know that interest rates are going to go up. Uh, but you said you've baked all of this into your sensitivity analysis. Can you just break those words, stroke phrases down for us so that if there's anyone who doesn't know very much about property and they're listening to this, you know, either like, as you said, on Clubhouse until it gets re um, released as a podcast next week, Wednesday. So this recording is going to be on, on Clubhouse for a week and then on Wednesday it will come off of Clubhouse completely and it will be released as a podcast. So, and you know, just in case like, people don't know anything about these um, kind of terms and or phrases, can you just break them down for us, please? Sure, and in, in very simple terms, um, when we do things like sensitivity analysis, you're effectively doing what if simulation models, right? So you have, you do your numbers based on some variables, okay? Um, let's say, uh, let's say not, not even uh, estimates, let's say based on actuals today, for argument's sake. But actuals tomorrow might be completely different to actuals today. So one simple example, when, when we think about build costs, uh, let's say the build costs in London are around £200 a square foot. So that's your base build cost. But you always need to put a contingency in there. And roughly speaking, contingency is 10%. So immediately from 200 pounds a square foot, you're going up to 220 pounds a square foot. And you're trying to make sure that that deal works at 220 pounds a square foot. Uh, when you speak to some lenders today, they're telling us even 10% isn't enough. You need to have 15% contingency. So fine, then you work out another scenario and you put in 15% uh, contingency just for the build costs and you see if the deal stacks up, meaning is it still profitable? Is Does the deal 
have enough margin in there for you to make money? Does it have enough margin in there for you to obviously pay all your contractors, your tradespeople, etc., not to mention your professionals, not to mention, most importantly, the person or the firm that will probably have a first charge on your property, the lender. So it's very important to make sure that the deal always stacks up, right? The other thing to bear in mind is, and this is another variable, but there are quite a few variables. So you've got to decide how you want to simulate this, and this is where the sensitivity analysis comes in. You could do many different simulations, but at the end of the day, at some point, analysis equals paralysis. So you've got to do that fine balance and say, well, how much is enough? And enough, and, and, and at that point, you, you realize that you've actually carved out the worst case scenario, you've carved out the most expected scenario, and you've carved out the best case scenario. And if you've got those three, not only should you be uh, content, most importantly, your lender will appreciate that as well because they will see that you have understood not just the current market parameters and the market dynamics, but you've actually factored in an element of the future as well. I'll give you one example before I hand the mic back to you. You spoke about interest rates. So let's say today interest rates for debt finance are around 7% to 8% a year. What if that goes up to double digits? Let's say 10%. Is the deal, does it still stack up? Is it still above water? That's again part of your sensitivity analysis, right? So it can get very complicated, like I said, but there are certain simulations that, in my opinion, based on what we're predicting to happen in the future, are an absolute must-do today in order to present the best case to yourself, because ultimately we are in the business where we're taking calculated risks, not silly risks, calculated risks. And at the same time, you're presenting a professional look to your lender, uh, your financier, maybe your, your uh, private investors, whoever they might be. Wow, thank you. <laughs> thank you, Imran. Right, so this development that you're doing, the two semis, how many bedrooms are they going to be? Good question. Five bedrooms. Five bedrooms, four Ooh, en that... suites with a facility on the ground floor. Wow. Oh, I, I can see that doing so well in Richmond. Um, five bed. So those are executive homes. Um, oh, amazing. No. I, oh, I wouldn't they? say no. Executive homes are probably another level up. And this particular area uh, wouldn't cater for that. Um, so these are, I would say, family homes. Uh, they are going to be built to a very good standard, a very, very good standard. But I wouldn't necessarily say that these are going to be executive homes. That's another price bracket that this particular market wouldn't warrant. Ah, okay, okay. It's just that when I heard, you know, five bedrooms, four en suites, um, half a bathroom downstairs, I thought, okay, cool. 
you know, executive and, you know, with the finish that you said you were going to, but it just, it still sounds very, very exciting. Um, so um, can you, do you have a picture in mind of what you'd like to see at the end of it? Or is that still a work? It, obviously it's going to be a work in progress, but right now, have you envis do you envisage anything in particular that's in your mind that you're going to be saying to the architect and or your designer i would like to see this or i would like to see that or you know this color is you know a color that i'd like us to you know use in the development do you think it's going to work you know is there anything like that going on yet so we're having those conversations as we speak it's uh, me and my business partner my business partner is a builder, um, is a developer, um, and and luckily enough, his wife is an interior designer. So I leave those type of conversations in the hands of the professional, although I am actively involved because obviously I understand this market extremely well. I understand when I say market, I'm talking about the customer. When when we build or when we develop. Uh, even with rental properties, uh, I'm always of the opinion, have the end customer in mind. Know who you're actually developing for, building for, refurbing for. Whatever it is that you're doing, always have the end customer in mind. So, and, and uh, in my opinion, it's time spent understanding who that end customer is will always pay dividends to the project because then you're not guessing. Or if you are guessing, you're limiting the amount of guesswork involved. So certainly this market, we already know, have a very good idea of who the end customer is going to be. Uh, we're building the spec to that particular end customer's budget uh, and to the market's budget. But I did say we will push the a ceiling price of the market because we like to um, 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 create a new standard for this market, a new benchmark for this market for others to then follow. So we want to be trailblazers effectively in, in, in what we actually do. But like I said to you, we're not, I've used this phrase before and, and sometimes some people shoot me down for using this phrase, we're not the big boys. We're a small boutique residential development firm and and uh, we like to swim in our lane but in our lane we know exactly or we feel we know exactly what it is that we're developing for who we're developing it and for what budget that they can actually afford right so that takes me imran to your very you know i love your website two pages but so so clear and I've pinned a link above so people can, you know, tap on that if they want to. And you say very, very simply, we rent, we build, we buy. Oh, I, I love the simplicity of this website. I just absolutely love it. You know, and then the next page is, you know, contact us. So uh, Imran, tell, can you tell us, so still on your semis, what what size is each one going to be? I'm I'm still building a picture in my head, and as I did say, I am quite nosy. Uh, the latest uh, we've gone through multiple iterations. Uh, the latest is 300 square meters each. 
300 square so meters. <laughs> yes. Oh. It gives you an idea of how, how big these houses are going to be. Uh, they will be impressive. Um, wow. Let's just say square meters. You let's just say that I can't, I can't, I can't afford to buy them. <laughs> but but uh, what am I you talking about? Four flats. What, uh, uh, the smallest flat allowed is 37 square meters. How many 37s can you get in 300? That's nearly 10. Yeah. So probably about eight flats. You can get eight, eight flats, flats in each. Oh my word. So why are you not doing two detached? Uh, good question. Um, the, the that was one of our initial plans, but um, I, and this is this brings me to another topic of the life of a developer or a life of a property professional. It's all about weighing risks, and when I say risks, in this case, it's the uncontrollables. The un uncontrollables for a developer. One of the uncontrollables for a developer is the planning system. So I don't want to be in a situation where uh, we get shot down by the council for overdevelopment, which is a risk that we might have if we decided to go for too detached, which is why we're playing it very, very safe. We're going with semis. The precedence is there in the immediate vicinity, um, so much so that uh, one of the applications was put through recently for two semis and it just flew through so i'm hoping that this one flies through as well even though like i did mention earlier on the site is owned by us so there is only our money in the game so it's not really costing us in terms of interest but this is not the only site we're looking at we're actively pursuing a few others so i really need the planning to be approved as soon as possible um, so that we can actually start construction and then in parallel, there'll be a few other sites that we're in the process of acquiring. And um, by this site getting planning will actually help us with the other sites that we're looking to acquire. So, so we're playing the long game. Uh, we're quite happy not to, let's say, use the word, be too greedy with every single opportunity. Um, where we're going to uh, deliver a phenomenal product that's going to sell, it's going to sell very fast. In fact, I believe it's going to sell off plan. In fact, I'll probably end up selling it off plan. Uh, so, so there's a, a bit of a running uh, competition between me and the agents that we've already lined up. Uh, let's see who we can, who sells first. Um, if, if I sell it, sorry, if the agent sells it, of course I pay the agent. But if, if I sell it, the agent has to pay me. So let's, let's see how that one uh, pans out. <laughs> wow but honestly Imran uh, uh, there's something in my brain I hate figures okay but there is something in my brain that always seems to, to veer towards where the most money might be mm -hmm. and right now whatever it is that is in there is saying to me detached 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 <laughs> but what what how what, did you guys not maybe because uh, oh because i guess i'm just thinking you know it's such a big house and a lot of, i don't know i, I guess it's it, 
anyone would be lucky to live there in any event. But I'm just wondering, why not do pre-planning? That would be an extra four weeks. Four, yeah, four-ish weeks on top of your existing. And you've got, you know, both sets of plans. Because so let's put... Three, 300 square metres, I'm thinking that, to, to my mind, I'm thinking to them be attached to something else? Oof. Let's put it this way. Um, the the team that I have, uh, including the planning consultants, uh, the architects, etc., uh, we've had this conversation with them. And like I said, uh, we, we, we had multiple schemes that we were looking at. And after an extensive deliberation, this is the scheme that we're running with. Uh, and, and my preference would have always been too detached for the reasons that you mentioned. But um, bearing in mind the council that we're dealing with, the timelines involved, uh, this is the best we can do. And, and the other thing I'll say is, when you look at the numbers, it really doesn't make too much of a difference. Do you know, that is the most important thing, isn't it? You know, what difference does it make, you know, detached versus semi? But, oh, Imran, please promise me that once you do this, you will invite me to come and have a look. Because I, I, I cannot, you know, <laughs> I, 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 I'd love to be able to walk through a 300 square metre house. Oh, goodness. I, yeah, that sounds, it just sounds so exciting. Um, so congratulations, guys, you know, you're on the first, you know, path to, to getting what you want. You've got the property, it's cash flowing at the moment. So the rest of it, you know, until you start to build is, is admin. Um, so well done, well done and congrats. Thank you. Um, now going back, I think we've just got enough time to, to talk about this. Um, um, your HMO. So that's something that you bought for roughly about 550. You didn't do too much to it because you didn't, you know, you were again mitigating the risk of the council coming in with their single banding. And it's valued up at, at seven figures. Correct. So that is nearly twice as much. Can you just talk us through, just, 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 you can skirt around, you know, the main issues, but, you know, what area is it in? What sizes are the rooms? Um, what kind of tenant do you have in there? Obviously, you, you put in fire doors, you did the alarm system and all of that. What makes that, what has made that property go up in value so much? When was it bought? When was it valued? You know, those kind of details would be lovely if you could share. Yeah, so it was uh, bought about six years ago. Um, it was uh, rented as a single dwelling, um, modern construction, so it's a 90s construction, but quite tired looking. Um, and, and it was uh, a bit neglected. Um, and, and what I did was I freshened it up. Um, I think the the area that it's in, in South London, is, is obviously very high end and the area is appreciated significantly. So, so not all of the credit goes to what I've done to the property. I think the market has come to me as well. 
and and this is what I say to people who are looking to invest in property you have to be in the game to win it and the longer you're in the game the more chances you have of winning uh, but at the same time the work that we did I'm extremely proud of uh, we've gone for a very good spec we've uh, rented it out as a HMO and as a HMO it's uh, uh, it's it's uh, yielding extremely extremely well extremely positively I have four people living in the property I'm lucky that those four people are childhood friends so they've known each other for a very very long time so I don't have any challenges with who's drinking my milk or who's uh, stealing my bread slices or any of that sort of rubbish um, uh, and, and the other thing I do with my minimos is I, I don't uh, deal with the bills. Uh, the bills are the responsibility of uh, the tenants, uh, including the council tax, etc. So, which is why I say it's a bit of a hybrid model. I run them as a single let, but I charge them as, as a HMO. And obviously they're licensed as a HMO. They're refurbed as a HMO. So all the safety standards, the minimum space requirements are all HMO standards. Uh, the other thing I'll say to people is this is in Southwark Council. So Southwark Council has different minimum uh, room size requirements. For a single occupant, it's eight square meters rather than 6.53. And that doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, when you're actually um, uh, in, in a typical house in, in London that are Traditionally, two and a two and sorry, three and a half bedrooms. It's always the fourth bedroom where you have a problem, and we had that problem with this house as well, which is why uh, we we had to move walls around, internal walls around. But like I said, because it was a 90s construction, we're talking about stud walls here uh, rather than uh, solid walls, so the job wasn't too taxing. Uh, but it's it's uh, if if I were were to show you before and after figures, the property is unrecognizable. And uh, for someone like me, and I'm sure you're the same, when you look at the final product, um, that's when you go, it was absolutely worth it. Um, the the effort, the time, the risk, the trials and tribulations of dealing with tradespeople suppliers, uh, missed deliveries, failed return deadlines and all sorts of stuff because obviously these can be very complicated, very stressful but ultimately it was absolutely worth it and I do remember when I put this on the market uh, in Q4 of last year within 24 hours I had 51 inquiries uh, through open rent which, which, was, uh, which caught me completely off guard because I wasn't expecting so much interest and then, then I had to shortlist that down to 10 people or 10 parties that I wanted to speak to. And there was a bit of a bidding war. And I, I didn't want the bidding war to go too crazy because for me, it's not just about the money. More importantly, it's about the people, my customers that are going to be living in my property and looking after my asset, albeit it's their home. And that's what's important because ultimately it's their home, but it's still my asset. So, Imran, please, I'm going to ask you to share with us on social media so that we can actually see what was done. Um, but you, you, you said something, trials and tribulations. And I'm just thinking that is 
a really good note on which to to, to to start to start drawing this to a close in that you know as good as things are it they're not going to happen overnight you you put in effort you put in money you put in sweat some people put in blood as well and and you know what if you've done you know all of your calculations as you do in the beginning and they work out it will work out in the end but you know when people say oh you know i'm just going to buy this and you know do that and i'll make you know i'll double my money trials and tribulations guys i want you to think about that it's it's not easy it's definitely worth it um well in my experience in your experience imran definitely worth it but you will be tried sometimes on a daily basis but if you are able to look ahead and say and what i say to myself is this is just for a season this is just for a season <laughs> because it will all end and then you'll have something that's just going to put a permanent smile on your face and lots of money in your pockets if you are imran but imran <laughs> <laughs> too generous patricia too generous <laughs> no 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 i i like to say the truth uh, but, but do you know, I'm so, so glad that you came on here. Thank you very, very much. And if you're in the room and you're not following Imran, please just tap on his picture and follow him because you don't want to miss what he's going to be sharing with people. And whilst you're following him, tap on the bell icon as well. So anytime he's talking, you will get notified and then you will get to hear about this development as it's happening. And you might learn a lot from it. I know that I'm going to learn a lot from it because I, you know, just like Imran said, I'm all, I also love learning as long as it hasn't got anything to do with figures. Figures, do you know what? No, I'd rather not learn, but anything else, <laughs> I, I'm really interested. Um, so guys, yeah, follow Imran and tick off, you know, uh, um, click the bell icon so that you you are also notified, you know, when he's talking, like I said. Um, and next week, we've got another, um, um, well, so Imran and I, um, we are co-moderators in the morning in a room called UK Property Secrets. And we've got another lady from UK Property Secrets who is coming on next week, Pat Caesar. Now, she's into serviced accommodation and she operates in Kent. So if you want to meet Pat Caesar, Come back next week on Wednesday at 12 noon to get to meet her. And if you like these podcasts, please just review, subscribe to the show and review them. Um, you, and honestly, I do not, I'm not one of these people who will get really fussy if people give me bad reviews. I like reviews because it lets me just kind of like just just weigh up where I am can I improve things it doesn't mean that if people review I am going to change to what they've said no but it will allow me to actually think about what they're saying and say okay is this you know a good thing for me to be considering and implementing or not um so please do review you know the podcasts and I tell you I, I won't be precious about you know anything that you say um and um once more you know thank you very much for spending your afternoon you know with imran and myself and i wish you a happy week imran thank you so much
Patricia, before we close, I just wanted to say uh, thank you for the opportunity to bring me on. And certainly to those listening in, I would say certainly subscribe to the pod podcast and look at the podcast, look at all the different episodes that, Patricia, you've made available through this series. And, and tune in to some of the other people, some of the other episodes, because what I find fascinating with, with uh, certainly the podcast series that you've actually done is despite the fact many of the people that you invite are in the property sector and are property professionals, they all come at it from a di completely different angle. And that's what fascinates me, right? So we're all doing maybe similar things, but we're doing it in our approach. It's completely unique. And that's what's fascinating about property. That's what's fascinating about business in general. Thank you, thank you everyone. So thank you guys and thank you for the comments in the um, in the room chat and see you next week, hopefully. Thanks Patricia, thanks everyone, take care.